continue in our series, uh, the series that you're in in Mark. And um, it's a, this is a, when I was assigned this passage, I was like, oh, this is great. This is a passage I've never actually spoken on before. I've taught through John. I've taught through Luke. Uh, and there's similar accounts in, in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. And, uh, but this morning, we're actually going to talk about Jesus, children, and the kingdom of God. So it's actually appropriate. I love that there's actually kids here uh, in the room with us uh, because we're going to see how much Jesus valued them. Uh, I've got my two youngest with me here, Lawson and Kennedy. Um, my eldest is 16. We put her on an airplane this week. Uh, first time I've ever done that with one of my kids and uh, sent her back to Ireland. Uh, she's staying with her grandmother and my brother that are there. And then uh, my wife is in, in, in Missouri. So I'm a single, single dad for, for about a week and uh, enjoying that and holding that down. So, but uh, I want us to just think about how we think about uh, kids uh, this morning. Um, I've got really just two simple points uh, to help us think about uh, Jesus and his approach to children and what that also then means to us um, because he uses kids as an example uh, for us to learn from. And so we're going to reflect a little bit of, uh, on kids and, and Jesus and, and what he thought of them, um, but then we're going to turn our attention to us as adults and how we can learn from our children this morning. So, um, so how, how do we think about kids? What's your first kind of reaction? Maybe, obviously, there are parents in the room today. Maybe uh, some of you uh, are grandparents and, and your kids are grown and out of the house. Maybe you, some of you don't have kids uh, uh, at this time, and that's okay. But I, I suspect that we uh, kind of have mixed kind of reactions depending on the situation. Kids are funny. Uh, they're certainly unpredictable. Um, at many times, they're cute. Uh, sometimes they're deeply frustrating. Um, and they can bring out both the best and the worst of us uh, in adults. Can I get an amen from the parents? Right? Um, especially, uh, so uh, some people are great. Like some people love babies. Some people love toddlers. Like I, I was more of a, like, as a dad, like I, I thought my, my kids as, as babies were cute, but I just like, and this may be common with dads, like I, like I don't know really what to do. I don't know how to like relate here. And once they could like smile and laugh and like get a reaction, you're like, okay, I, I think fatherhood is, is starting to grow on me, but... Um, but they can be frustrating at times. This is uh, 10 rules of toddlers. So if you've had toddlers or some in the room, I think, here's 10 rules of toddlers. And it's going to, I think, get to a little bit of like human nature um, because some of this doesn't ever kind of go away as, a, as, a, as adults. But here's the 10 rules of toddlers. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. Um, if, if it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And if it's broken, it's yours. Uh, kids are funny, and uh, there's, uh, that's humorous, but sometimes uh, we can be uh, just as selfish. We just become more subtle about it. And so here's two things I want us to think about this morning. The first one is we should accept children the way that Jesus does. And the second point will be we should accept Jesus the way that children do. We'll flip that on its head. But so let's look at the first one. We should accept Jesus the way that Jesus does. Um, because here we have uh, uh, people bringing their children to Jesus that he might touch them. Um, and the disciples are rebuking them. Like, no, listen, Jesus is too busy. 
he's too important, whatever it was, they were, they were, they were stopping them from doing this. And Jesus becomes indignant to them. Um, and often this can be our attitudes, right? Uh, children should be seen and not heard. Sometimes we feel like, oh, we got to kind of push kids to the side or whatever it may be. We don't resource them as well. Um, but this isn't actually, in, in many ways, our culture has gotten better at this. Um, the ways that we probably sideline or ignore kids is a little more subtle. Uh, historians have found letters dating back to uh, before the time of Christ. One was June 17th, uh, 1 BC. And it was written from a man named Hilaron to his wife, Alice, concerning the birth of a child. This is a Roman, a Roman uh, man. And he was away um, uh, at battle or, or uh, away, and he, he, had, he knew his wife had given birth, and he wrote to her. And this is what the letter said. If it was a male child, let it live. If it was a female, cast it out. And this refers to this practice of leaving infants out to die of exposure if they were unwanted, and really for any reason. And this practice uh, wasn't even outlawed in Roman law until 375 AD. So if you had a child, and for whatever reason you didn't want it, maybe you were wanting a, a son or an heir, I mean, you could just leave your child out to, to exposure. Um, and this isn't, we, we kind of shriek at that, aren't we? We're kind of horrified by that. David Garland in this practice of children in the ancient world, he says this, he says, the ancient world did not have a romantic notion of children. Children added nothing to the family's economy or honor and did not count. In the Greco-Roman world, one could literally throw children away by exposing unwanted infants at birth. The unscrupulous would collect exposed children and raise them to be gladiators or prostitutes and even disfigure them to enhance their value as beggars. Today we discard babies through a much more subtle but no less evil practice of abortion. Or we think of China's one-child rule um, where often uh, female babies um, are aborted at a much higher rate because um, of families wanting their one child to be a son. We exploit children. We see women and children trafficked into uh, all kinds of exploitation and child slavery around the world and child prostitution around the world. And so Jesus here is elevating and, and saying, no, 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 the, the children are, are just as important. Bring them to them. Don't hinder them. Not only does he accept children with love, but he also raises their status by using them as an example for all to follow if they wish to enter the kingdom of God. And we'll come back and talk more about that in a second. And so here they are bringing their children. And so it's obvious kind of the first thing we want to kind of notice in how we accept children as Jesus did is, is to bring your kids to, to, to Jesus. Um, and I'm, I'm thrilled that so many of them are here, right? There's this modern kind of notion of not wanting to push religion on kids, right? We'll let them decide for themselves. I don't want to, I don't want to make their mind up for them. But when you think about that, that only makes sense if you see religion, if by religion you mean a set of beliefs that are merely intellectual. They're just kind of these cultural identifiers or these traditional kind of um, identifiers of, of our, our tradition or our upbringing. They're not actual beliefs about how we believe the world actually works, about reality of the cosmos. It doesn't make sense if we actually believe that there's a creator God who has revealed himself to us and revealed who we are in relation to him, how we are to relate to the creator of, of, of the world and the universe. 
And that our response to that revelation has consequences, eternal consequences. If we believe that to be true, we're obviously going to raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of, of the Lord. In that reality, it's only if you think those things weren't important or if those aren't really true. If this is just kind of uh, a ritual that we do on Sundays, we'll let our kids decide if they want to opt in or opt out of that. But if we actually believe God is who he says he is and who, how he has re revealed himself to us through the scripture, through his son Jesus, through creation, all of the ways he has revealed himself to us through both general and special revelation, it's of paramount importance that we raise our families and our kids in the knowledge of who God is. The way to really combat a disconnected faith from reality is what you're doing this morning, is, is being a part of a faith community. We're raising our kids in a faith community where they can see, they can hear, they can learn, they can be taught. But it's also by what they see at home. Kids most often learn what is caught, not just what is taught. And so we come to church and, and you get the taught part and they catch some of what they see here, but so much of what they catch and, and, and will grow up to believe and learn what is important is what they see the rest of the week. My mother is a, is a great example um, of that. Um, my dad came to faith after I did. Um, he didn't grow up in a Christian home at all. Um, and really wasn't discipled till really later in his life. And so my mom was kind of the spiritual glue uh, that, that held our family together in many ways. Um, and, I, and I know that I realize that um, now as an adult looking back, that every single morning I would get up and uh, she would be about her, her work or whatever. She'd been up before me, obviously. But there was always her Bible and an empty cup of coffee um, on, the, on the table with highlighters, maybe a, a journal or a notebook. Um, my mom was a, a woman of the word and was in it um, day after day um, and prayed for us. And I have no doubt that that has borne uh, fruit in my life, in my siblings' life, um, just as much, if not maybe even more, than bringing us to church every, every week. Let me just give us a few examples of how we can think about that and do that um, in just real practical ways. Um, one, that we teach children to relate to God through worship. You're doing that this morning. Um, kids are here, right? We're modeling how we worship God uh, in that. We do that at home as well. Um, maybe that's how we, we thank God um, through gratitude at mealtimes, uh, as, we, as we travel, whatever may be kind of pointing these things out. And we use grace and law correctly. So we're not teaching our kids just moralism. We're not raising our kids just to be good kids. Um, uh, Foothill, the church that we're at, has a Christian school. And so I meet other kind of parents at times that aren't a part of our church. They're a part of our community. And they send their kids to our school because it's a great school educationally. But they also want a sense of like, I want my kids to be good, good people as they grow up. I want them to be moral people. Um, and, and in some sense, that's, that's a great aspiration, but in, in many ways, it's a little bit hollow because there's no actual uh, spiritual formation uh, that they're learning outside of that environment at home. We want to use grace and law. The law reveals our sin, but it's grace that changes our hearts. And so we're teaching our kids um, grace. Here's some of the best advice I was ever given before I was a parent, and it's born true. When your kids are little, it's the rules that kind of provide the boundaries, isn't it? Don't touch that, it's hot. You can't play in the street, you're gonna hit by a car. So we put these rules in place. Yes, no, you can, you can't do that. But as our kids get older, I have a teenager now, she'll be 17 in a couple months. 
Ben, rules just don't carry the same kind of weight. <laughs> they don't mind breaking rules. Um, kids go through rebellious phases uh, in that way. And what holds the, the boundaries now is really the relationship between you and your kids. But what many people fail to, uh, the mistake that's made is we don't nurture that relationship during the rules period. And we think the rules will then hold our, our, our boundaries, our moral boundaries that we want our kids to be. But there's no relationship that actually holds that together. And so as we give kids rules, clears right, wrong, no, we discipline them, all those things. It's a, it's a gracious relationship that's being nurtured with us as parents and our kids, but also between them and the Lord. That as then they get older and, and begin to make their own choices, there's not as many rules. They have more freedom. You're not there to see every single choice they make. It's the relationship with the Lord and with you, really, that, that, that acts as these boundaries now when rules aren't um, enough anymore. We model a life of holiness, right? We, we are examples to our children. That doesn't mean we're perfect. We let them make mistakes. I've had to go and apologize to my kids because uh, I lost my temper or I handled a situation wrong. We're modeling uh, holiness and repentance. We ascribe identity um, to our kids. Um, and that identity is that we are in Christ. Um, and so that is our first and foremost identity of, of who we are as people. Um, my kids are bicultural kids. So um, my kids have just moved back to America after living in Ireland their entire life. Uh, and so, you know, you're trying to make sense of some new kind of cultural things. And they've got two passports. I have three passports, I'm like Jason Bourne, but without the coolness uh, of that, right? So... Um, and so, listen, uh, I, I love America. Uh, I'm an American citizen, and, uh, but I've lived about half my life outside the States, and I've got citizenship uh, abroad as well. And you know what? None of those things are just nearly as important as my identity uh, as, as a follower of Jesus first. My, our first identity is in the kingdom of God. And then we constantly preach the gospel to ourselves and to our children, a faith that is lived out is not just seen on a Sunday morning going through rituals, but a living, bright, a vibrant faith practiced in all of life as we love and follow Jesus. That's how we bring our kids to Jesus. We don't just bring them to church. We bring them to Christ. And we see here they were bringing them um, so that he would touch them. This is this practice of laying on of hands and blessing um, often by a rabbi. This goes back to Isaac and Jacob. Matthew's account says they were bringing them so that Jesus would touch them and pray for them. Um, this might even be similar to like our, our child dedications. Right? We want to bring our kids before the Lord. We want to bless them, um, ask the Lord to be with them. And so here, this is the, the scene and the disciples are rebuking them. And we're not told why. Maybe they had a little bit of a gatekeeper mentality. We see really just in the chapter before in verse 30, 38, uh, John said to them, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. And Jesus is like, what? Like, what, what do you mean try to stop him from casting out demons? Maybe they perceived them not to be worthy of Jesus's time and attention, like the secret service kind of protecting and keeping people at distance. Maybe Roman culture had really seeped in and influenced them and they saw kids as a little useless or this necessary stage before adulthood, which was 13 then, that they could be productive, you know, kind of workers in a society. But Jesus's reaction stands in sharp contrast to the disciples. He's indignant. He's irate. There's this righteous anger that boils up, this emotion 
that involves pain. We should take notice when Jesus has strong reactions to situations. That should arrest our attention. Again, just in the previous uh, verses in, in the last part of Mark 9, Jesus uses this strong language. It says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It would be better to die of drowning than to cause one of these little ones to walk away from their faith. And so we see Jesus has two commands, a positive and a negative. One, let them come. And two, do not hinder. Don't hinder them. He, he says it twice, this double, double way, this, this powerful way that he, he wants to emphasize this in a positive and a negative at the same time. Jesus shows his love for children not only through his words um, and the granting of a blessing to them by the laying on of his hands, but by tenderly and affectionately taking him up in his own arms. Notice what he says. Uh, he says, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. We'll come back to that. Verse 16, he took them up in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. The Greek that's translated blessed here has a couple different aspects. I'm not going to get into parsing uh, Greek and all of that. But basically, Mark uses the word here that and he adds this preposition to that that intensifies the word. The linguistic kind of key uh, to this really would mean that Jesus blessed them fervently like in no perfunctory way. It wasn't like, okay, yeah, let me just bless you as a, as a group. He's like taking them up individually in his arms, praying for them individually, one by one. William Hendricks suggests the verse would be best translated this way. And having taken them in his arms, he tenderly blessed them one by one, laying his hands upon each of them. In other words, Jesus didn't just act quickly, touch them, just kind of like run them through. Okay, let's get this part over with. Jesus like took time. He scooped them up. He tenderly took them into his arms. He, he, he made time to spend with each of these children in order to show his grace toward them individually. Um, Jesus is this perfect person who lived, this perfect man who comes. And we see him at times. He's, he's, uh, he's tough. He, he, he knows uh, how to take a beating. Uh, he knows when to put his foot down, as it were. And yet here's Jesus tenderly taking up children in his arms, blessing them, drawing them close, praying for them. We get this tender um, Jesus that's here. So we should accept children the same way that Jesus does. And that's important for us um, as families. It's important for us as a, as a church family um, to think about how we disciple our kids as we raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, um, that we would do no harm um, to them. And part of that, I think, is the, when I think of friends who have kind of like deconstructed their faith or they've walked away, not all of them, but so much of them, it really, their faith was a Sunday morning experience at, at best. It wasn't something that was really lived out in the home all, all throughout. Um, it was a, a, a tradition. It was a ritual. And those things are easy to lay aside. Those things are, are easy to walk away from. So let's lean into and think about how we accept Jesus, uh, accept children the way that Jesus does. The second part then that I want us to look at and spend the rest of our time with was we should accept Jesus the way that children do. Um, this is the point of, of what Jesus is getting at. 
Um, he refers to the kingdom of God. He says, let the children come to me, don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Those are strong kind of words from Jesus, right? He's referring to this kingdom of God. He refers to it twice. It's something to be received. It's something to be entered into. But what is it? Um, and, and briefly, with a short amount of time, that we have the kingdom of God is essentially the rule and reign of God. We enter into and underneath the rule and reign of God. We, we receive the kingdom of God. We can be a part of the kingdom of God now as we acknowledge his rule and his reign in our lives. And then one day um, we will live in the kingdom of God in its full consummation forever as it is established fully on earth again. So how do we enter the kingdom of God? What does it mean to, to bring ourselves under the rule and reign of Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? Is essentially uh, what we're getting at here. And I think the common response um, over and over in scriptures, we see a common misunderstanding, right? And most believe that entrance into the kingdom of God is determined by merit or, or, or law keeping. If I'm good enough, right? If, if you ask most people probably on the street, you see the common kind of like, hey, you know, if you believe in a heaven or hell, what will it take to get into heaven? And it's usually some kind of response of, well, I'm, I'm trying to be the best person that I can be. I'm trying to to, you know, make society uh, better. I'm trying to better and improve myself in some kind of way. But here we have the teaching of Jesus. And as Jesus welcomes the children, he uses this as an opportunity to make it clear that entrance into the kingdom of God absolutely cannot be earned by any kind of merit. We must receive the kingdom like children, with childlike faith, Let me, um, I'm just going to highlight a couple of verses. We could really look to the entire scripture throughout the Old Testament uh, to make this point. But here's some just super clear ones that will help drive home this point, I think, this morning. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul writes this. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not uh, your own doing. It can be any more clear than that, isn't it? it? It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works. So that no one may boast. So we don't enter the kingdom in any kind of way by our own doing. It's, it's literally a gift that we don't earn. We receive the kingdom of God. In Titus 3, 4 and 7, he says this. He says, but when the goodness and listen, the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Isn't this what we see in Jesus? This loving kindness as he takes kids and he picks them up in his arms and he blesses them. And when that goodness appears, uh, he says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. How do we have the hope of entering the kingdom of God? How do we become heirs, uh, co-heirs with Christ in receiving all that God has for us? It's simply by his own mercy. 
It's by the Holy Spirit renewing us, by regenerating us, by giving um, us hearts of flesh and swapping those out for our hearts of stone. It's not by anything that we do. It's not by our own merit at all. Jesus himself drives home this point multiple times. Um, in Luke 18, this is, this is a parable that I, I come back to time and time again um, because I'm a law keeper kind of guy. Um, I, I wasn't like the rebellious kid, right? I've never been drunk. I've never done drugs. I was like the president of my youth ministry, whatever that means, right? So like I was that kind of good kid growing up. And so I'm, I'm that kind of like older brother. I wasn't the prodigal. I was the older brother like, right? I married a prodigal. My wife's story is like a disaster, like a train wreck. And the Lord brought us together. <laughs> and I think he did that to help me realize that I'm way just not any better than what I thought I was uh, back then. But this is the parable that Jesus tells. He says, he says to, uh, he, he's telling this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's me. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, an elite religious leader, and the other a tax collector, scum of the earth as far as they were concerned. And the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like this other man, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And that's a pastor's dream, just so you know. Someone who like fasts and tithes all that they get, 10%? Like from pastors, like, yeah, those are the people that we want. And Jesus is like, no, they're not. I mean, you should tithe for sure. <laughs> but not this self-righteous kind of, of person. He says, but the tax collector standing far off, he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is what's happening here. You've got people who are bringing their kids, kids that are coming, infants that are being brought, children that are, that are being led by the hand to Jesus. And then these religious gatekeepers, his disciples are like, no, you're... You're not, good. You're not important enough. We don't have enough time and energy here. You have nothing to offer. And Jesus is like, this isn't how the kingdom of God works at all. It's the complete opposite. It's those who think that they're good enough. Those that are self-justified, who, who would stand before the Lord and say, hey, why should I let you into my kingdom? You pull out a list. And the list is all the things that you have done, all the things that you have refrained from, all the ways that you, you think that you are holy. Jesus says, that's not at all how you get into the kingdom. You have to come like a child. These children were coming essentially helpless. Babies, at, I mean, in a real practical sense, when, when babies are born, they don't add any value to, to your house, right? They don't, they don't pay rent. They don't have a job. They cost a ton of money. They don't let you sleep. Like if you're making just a real like logical pros and cons, the, the cons list could be way, way longer. 
Now, we know that's not actually intrinsically true. You guys bring a lot of joy. <laughs> right? And, and they're made in the image of God. They're like human beings. They're, they're important because, because they are. It's not what we produce that gives us value. It's how God has made us and created us that it gives us intrinsic worth. Danny Aiken says this. He says, children are helpless. They don't know all that they need, but they know they need the help of another and they are hopeful they will receive it. They come small, helpless, and powerless. They have no clout or standing and they bring nothing but empty hands. This is appropriate since only empty hands can be filled. Um, if you grew up in church, there was an old hymn uh, that we used to sing called Rock of Ages. If you remember that song. But here's a couple of the verses. It says, not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal so respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin erase. Thou must save and save by grace. No, nope. it doesn't matter how many tears uh, that, 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 I, that I shed. It doesn't matter how, how much zeal that I gave. None of those can overcome or erase my sin and offense before God. It's only by grace. The next verse says, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's a description of a, of a baby, isn't it not? <laughs> Naked, they come into the world. They come to us to, to, to dress them, to, to, to provide for them. They're helpless. They look to us for all that they need. We enter by faith. Jesus elevates this, these children and says, this is exactly how you come into the kingdom. By realizing you add nothing, you offer nothing, we come simply to the feet of Jesus to be scooped up into his arms and to be blessed by him. We enter by faith. And we continue to live by faith. While we affirm and trust in salvation by faith, if you're like me, oftentimes I then start to find myself living as though I have to earn God's love. You know how I know that? Because whenever I have sin that enters into my life, my first reaction often isn't just to, to take that sin before the Lord and just to repent of that sin, to allow his grace and mercy to forgive me of that sin, to ask his Holy Spirit to help me in, in the power of the Holy Spirit to turn and walk away from that sin. Here's what I do. I know I've sinned. I know that's offense before the Lord. I know that's driving a wedge in my relationship. And so I'm gonna try to sort it out. And so I try to stop doing that. I try to overcome that. I have enough remorse and when I've not done that sin for whatever period of time, hey, it's been like, you know, a week, it's been a month or whatever, then I feel like I can go before the Lord and ask for forgiveness of that. 
Because listen, I know that that was sinful, but look, I, I've not done it for X amount of time. And, and I'm really sorry. And, and I'm sorry. And, and I've proved that I'm sorry because I haven't done that in a while. And so now I can come and confess before the Lord. I feel like I have to clean myself up and be presentable. It's like hiring a maid service to come and clean your house, cleaning service to come and clean your house, but you're like too ashamed. And so you clean your house before they come, right? You're like, well, I can't, I, I can't see them like I have dirty dishes. And you're like, that's the whole reason you hired them. What are you doing? But that's exactly how I treat my, my relationship with Jesus at times. When my head isn't screwed on right, when I'm thinking merit, law, earning favor before God, I got to do the dishes. I got to vacuum a little bit. I'll dust a little bit. I, I, I'll admit there's still some stuff that I need your help with, but I, I've taken care of most of it. It's okay now. And Jesus says, that's not at all how we come and enter the kingdom. And it's not even how we continue to live in the kingdom. It's grace. It's his mercy that changes our heart and then our heart, our heart, our desires of our heart change where I don't even want these things anymore. That's how I let go. The, 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 the sermon that has changed my life the most is uh, written by a guy who's been dead a long time, a guy called Thomas Chalmers. And he wrote this sermon called The Power, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And, and it's, it's kind of in the title, right? Uh, I have this affection for sin, but I found Jesus now and my affection for him grows so much that it has this expulsive power of a new affection. My, my affection has eclipsed this one. It's, it's expelled that one. I don't desire those things anymore. Paul asked the Galatians this in Galatians 3. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing through faith? Hearing through faith is the answer. He says, are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. We continue and walk out our faith as we entered into it. Like child, like children. Not a childish faith. Not an immature faith. That's a childish kind of faith. But a childlike faith. One that recognizes their need. I'm, I'm more hyper aware of that even this week as my wife is out of town. And so like I'm the only parent. And um, so you're, you're way more, I think, uh, attuned and alert to that, right? Um, when you're like, I've got to pick up the kids. I've got to feed them. I've got to, moms, you guys are awesome. Especially stay-at-home moms. I know moms uh, uh, worked too, but man, it's a, it is a, it's a full-time job. I'm way more attuned to the needs of my kids, even when it's just me. And maybe that's been appropriate this week for this sermon, because it's highlighted how much I try to depend on my own strength, my own power to walk out in obedience to Jesus. When really I just need to be way more dependent, completely dependent on him and the Holy Spirit to do that. The disciple John, John the Beloved, writes this in 1 John, and we'll close. 
He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. What kind of, what kind of love has the Father poured out on us? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. We use that as a derogatory term, right? Don't be a child. Don't be a baby. And yet, that's the marker of that God has loved you so much that he has called you his children. He says, the reason why the world does not know us is it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him because we are his children. And so my invitation for us this morning is to, to receive children the way that Jesus did and to receive Jesus the way that the children did. That's the only way, Jesus says, that we can enter into the kingdom of God. Paul would go on to say it's the only way that we really continue to walk and grow and mature in our faith is to remember that we are God's children. That we don't act childish, we mature, we grow, we move beyond milk, we, we, we move on to deeper, more mature things, but it's, we still receive those things like a child by full dependence on, on our Father. We never outgrow our dependence of God. You know you've done a good job as parents when your kids are independent, right? They eventually leave, they have their own lives. There's a sense of like, okay, you're on your own now. I've done my job. I've handed that off. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. There's never a point where God's like, hey, you're good enough. You're good to go. You don't need me anymore. Never. For all of eternity. We are always dependent on him. For our salvation, for our sanctification, for our maturation. It's all um, through him. Let me encourage us this morning that we would be remember, we would remember that in our own lives. We would remember that as we parent our kids, that we would be examples of that to them. Um, that's how we'll raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Follow me in dependence to, to God as I model my dependence on him as your mom, as your dad. Yes, be independent in this world, but in the kingdom, we are all children. There's no adults in the kingdom of God in that sense. We're all children. We would do well to remember that and walk that out in our families. Let's pray. Father, we start our prayers that way so often. Father, Many times that can roll off our tongues without much thought of that. And in a sense, that's such a good thing. Our reflex is to cry out Abba, to cry out Daddy. Father, we pray that we would never lose that sense of dependence on you, that we would never lose that childlike faith. Father, forgive us, forgive me in those times where we are try to be self-sustaining, where we try to be self-justified. Jesus says that those people end up excluded from the kingdom of God. And so would you even help us today, um, like that prodigal who come to, come to his senses and went back to his dad's house, 
He returned under the care of his, his good and loving father. Father, forgive us of our elder brother tendencies who feel like we've earned things and we deserve things that, um, that we can accomplish things apart from you. For apart from you, we can do nothing. We are just vines attached. We are branches attached to the vine. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would um, surge through us uh, into our kids. We, we pray this morning for, for our children that they would never know a time where they, where they haven't known and loved you. Pray for the kids of, of Story Church this morning, uh, the little ones that are even here. Father, that they would know your love. They would know your compassion, your grace, and your mercy at a, a young and tender age. Father, they would know that even through imperfect parents, through parents that are living lives of repentance before them. We ask this in your name. Amen.